Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Farm Traveler Podcast. I am your host, Trevor Williams. Thanks to direct-to-consumer businesses, the rise of agritourism, and even social media, it's never been easier for consumers to connect with those producing their food. Here on the Farm Traveler Podcast, we want to connect you with businesses offering direct-to-consumer products you can try at home, agritourism sites you can visit with your family, and exciting new technologies that are changing how your food is being grown. This week, we'll be talking with Rob Rastovich, an Oregon rancher who runs his family's 100-year-old ranch and also works as a chief technology officer for ThingLogix, an IoT, or Internet of Things, company focused on helping businesses create applications that run on Amazon Web Services. Rob has an extremely interesting background in developing technology geared towards the Internet of Things and working with Oregon breweries to supply his cattle with a unique type of feed. Rob's family ranch, called Barley Beef, uses spent grain from beer brewing in their feed and also offers direct-to-consumer purchases, both in terms of cuts of beef as well as whole cow. In our conversation today, Rob and I will chat about the history of his family ranch, why they decided to incorporate beer grains into the diets of their cattle, how easy it is to purchase a whole cow for your freezer, and what cuts of meat that might include. On the technology side of things, Rob and I will talk about what it's like to create a company that was eventually bought out by Amazon, the impacts of new technology on the job market, and how technology can create more convenient food purchasing options for consumers. This was a super interesting conversation with Rob about technology and the impact it's going to have on the ag industry, so I hope you enjoy it. All right, well, Rob Rastovich, welcome to the show, man. How are you doing? Good, Trevor, and thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to chat with you. Um, So you have got a cool background. We were just talking about it. Um, You're the CTO of a big company, and you also have a really cool story about a beef ranch, but kind of... Before we dive into both of those, kind of tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of how you got started. Well, ranching has kind of been part of our blood. Uh, so I'm third generation on our ranch. Uh, we are 
um, in our in our county. I, I live in Central Oregon. Um, the name of the county that I live in is Deschutes County. We're the first ranch in Deschutes County to reach 100 years old, mm-hmm. and that's still owned and operated by the original family. Um, so ranching is kind of you know, it's, it's, I always say, tell people it's like I, I it's like I almost don't know how not to ranch. Like you, <laughs> there's not some cows someplace. I start to feel uncomfortable. So, um, you know, my grandfather homesteaded the land and my father worked it his whole life and I've been here my whole life. And, um, so that's how, you know, the ranching kind of started and there and how we got to where we are with barley beef is just, um, a way of trying to figure out a way to, you know, make ranching move with the time. So, um, and we can talk a little bit more about that, but that's how I kind of got into ranching. But on the tech side, uh, I actually, uh, I actually fell into the tech by accident. I was, um, I actually went to school to be a marketing major and I owned an advertising agency, um, down in Southern California for a few years. And when the internet first came around in the mid nineties, um, we thought this is, Hey, this is going to be kind of cool. This is, a, you know, cause we, at back then we could do radio ads and TV mm-hmm. and brochures and newspaper print, but Hey, we had a new medium out there where we could, you know, start to sell, you know, uh, our services to. So, I learned how to build a website and I learned how to, you know, um, do an e-commerce site. And, you know, that's when I kind of, what I always say, I got the, the crack cocaine of, of programming. I just couldn't get enough. Once you started, <laughs> see, you know, you start running the code and the code works and things start happening and you're making an application and making something that wasn't there. Um, I was hooked. And from that point forward, you know, Java came out and I became a, a Java programmer and, um, went through the cloud computing phase, you know, in the early 2000s. And then in um, the mid 2000s, buddies and I, we started a startup um, to get into the IoT world because we actually believed like the next generation of, you know, the next big thing was connected devices. Um, and we started a company and we were going to figure out a way to ingest large amounts of data. And we spun up a bunch of servers and got a call one day from, little company called Amazon. And they said, what are you guys doing? (laughs) (laughs) And we said, well, this is what we're doing. And they go, well, we've been trying to do that and we couldn't figure it out. So we'd like to have your stuff. So we ended up selling that, uh, that company to Amazon. So the AWS service today, what's known as uh, AWS IoT was the service that they acquired from us. And then ThingLogics, which is, and after the acquisition, they wanted us to, you know, everybody to move to Seattle at the time. And there was just no place in Seattle to put cows. I, I looked and they didn't have, you know, there was no apartments where you could put 150 head of cows. And so uh, at that time I says, well, I'm, I'm not going to move to Seattle. And so a couple, of, a couple of the buddies of mine from the acquisition, we started ThingLogics to develop IoT applications. And so, and it has evolved from there. That's exciting. So that's a phrase we've heard a couple of times on the show, IoT. And that's basically Internet of Things, like how things connect and communicate, right? Yeah, it is. It's, it's two two devices, two things talking to each other. What, is that part of Web 2.0? It would be, you know, it would probably be a, a subset of that. So Web 2.0 really came around as a part of the way, you know, web websites and could, mm-hmm. you know, with, with responsive design and, and other, you know, technologies that came around that you could make a website a little more, you know, more like an application than just a plain, plain old website. Gotcha. I mean, that's awesome. I mean, it, it's kind of proof that you guys are doing something right whenever Amazon calls and they're like, hey, we couldn't figure this out, but yeah. you guys figured it out. Come yeah. come help us out. Yeah. 
that's awesome. I mean, what was that whole process like of like working with Amazon? I mean, I'm sure there's stuff you can't disclose, but what was that like? Uh, it was fast and furious. It really? was, yeah, it was quite literally, um, you know, the, and the reason they called is we had a customer um, that wanted us to prove out our, our hypothesis that our technology could do it in mm -hmm. order to prove it. We had to spin up, you know, uh, infrastructure and stuff. And we did it all on Amazon. And that's when they actually called and they quite literally called and says, I don't know what you guys are doing, but, you know, <laughs> alarms are going off and bells are going off and, you know, please stop that. Um, it was a matter of six weeks later, we were shut down. Acquisition was confirmed and uh, everybody was on the on the truck to Seattle. That's so exciting. Um, and kind of going off of your earlier point about coding and programming and how fun that is, especially, I mean, your background is in marketing. Like, do you think like programming is kind of the future of like careers for people that want to do anything on the internet? Because it's, there's so many like free tools out there on the internet that you can use to program any language. You can build any app, build any website, build any database or anything. So it's really neat. What do you think? Oh yeah. There's, and you know, one of the things that thing logics, uh, the company that I own, has developed was we developed kind of one of those things that the ability for you to what they call a low code or no code platform. So mm -hmm. you can start making applications without having the innate knowledge of programming and whatnot. But uh, for, as a career choice for anybody coming out of college, uh, technology is still very, very hot. I mean, jobs are very plentiful. The, you know, salaries are, are, are ample. And, you know, it's still a path, but it's got to be, it is something that you have the aptitude for, or mm -hmm. you don't, you know, either you, either you really, you know, can get that, um, that uh, little endorphin injection when you see your programs running, or you go, this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. And <laughs> I remember one time I had, when I was first starting in the internet of things, we had a, I was trying to make, you know, figure out, make a web page turn mm -hmm. a light on and off on a little piece of devi a device that was sitting on my on my desk. So to me, that was really cool. Look, I can hit a button <laughs> on a website and the light blinks. And I remember I told my wife, I, I, watch this. This is so cool. You go, this is amazing. And I hit the button and the light blink. And she goes, you're going to clean all this shit up, aren't you? Right? <laughs> and so I realized, okay, well, that's not her aptitude. So. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. I programmed with HTML, JavaScript. I remember when I did like my first button that you click it and it changes colors and then takes yeah. you to a website. I was yeah. like, oh my God, I did a thing. And I showed yeah. my wife. She was like, cool. I'm like, no, but this took me hours to uh, do yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So we interviewed a guy. I mean, he's actually a student a couple episodes ago. Um, I think it was episode 139. It's a it's a high school student from Canada. His name is Luke. And basically, talking about this whole Internet of Things and getting people involved in STEAM careers, he wanted to get students, especially like rural students, interested in learning engineering, technology, coding. And so he literally built his own company called AgTech Steam, where they're like, like, like science subscription boxes where students can get interested in coding and programming and stuff like that. So... It's cool that it, it seems like a lot of students are like getting focused on this and I don't know, could definitely be the future. That's awesome. I mean, the more, the more that we can get people uh, and it's really a learning curve, you know, cause in mm -hmm. college they, they're teaching, you know, they'll teach you the basics, but really, you know, once you get out and, you know, to be able to get your hands dirty and really actually use and learn real world applications, that's, you know, we're having to train kids ourselves in college to bring them on board. So. 
That's true. I mean, and, I mean, last little tangent on coding. I mean, like one thing I learned, like you can take all the tutorials you want, but until you like actually try to build something, that's mm -hmm. when you're really going to learn. Like whenever you try to build it and it fails, that's when you're yeah. really going to figure things out. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> all right. So your, your ranch is called Barley Beef and there's a great little beer connection, which is why it's called Barley Beef. So kind of tell us that story and kind of what you guys are doing with that ranch. Yeah, so we had so in the little town of Bend, I live in Bend, Oregon, and the little town is a, um, a big microbrewing, you know, town. Mm. Um, our biggest brewery is Deschutes Brewery. Um, they're they're pretty well nationwide, so they're you know they they started here in the early '90s. Um, when my dad started moving on, and I uh, and I was starting to take over the ranch uh, about 10, 15 years ago. Um, you know, I, I was looking, you know, I went to one of my rancher buddies and I says, all right, so ranch has been losing money for, you know, a hundred years. How do we, how do we turn this around? He said, well, if you want to make money, if you want to make a small fortune in ranching, start with a large fortune. Um, <laughs> that's not the only way to make money in ranching. I think so at the time he was picking up, he, he was picking up a small amount of the spent grains from mm -hmm. the brewers in town and feeding it to the cows. And so I said, well, let's expand that. I mean, I'm kind of getting into my marketing background. You know, it's not that, um, you know, we invented the idea of, of feeding spent grains to, to cattle. Um, ranchers have been doing it for years and years. Uh, but we decided at that point, we said, oh, well, why don't we, you know, brand it? And because it's a nice story. So you, you come to town and you have a burger and a beer and you're eating a burger raised on the beer you're drinking. You know, the beer comes, the beer mash comes out. We feed it to the cows. We, you know, sell the meat back to the pubs, sell it to the consumers. So that whole kind of circle of life, we say. Um, and so that's when we started Barley Beef and started doing that. And then since then, we've expanded. So currently we're we're feeding close to 300 head um, and we're, you know, we're feeding um, about 120,000 pounds of grain um, mm -hmm. a week. So. Um, we just kind of expanded upon that and got uh, another couple partner ranches. And so that's kind of been our, our focus now is, is, um, feeding cows, beer mash. There you go. Now, I mean, did you have to like go to all these breweries and ask like, Hey, can I have your spent mash? Or was there somewhere they were dumping it and you kind of took it from there? No. And the unique thing is it's a, it's a service that the farmers really need to provide, provide mm. to the breweries because the, the mash that they, that these brewers produce um, you can't um, put it in down the sewer. You can't just flush it down into the sewage because it screws up the sewage treatment plants and the little mites can't eat it and all mm. the bad things happen. Well, you can't take it to the to the dump because it's a wet product and you, you can't take that out to the landfill. So they they have to get rid of it. Uh, a lot of guys get it done in different ways. But so we actually provide a service. We went to um, and there's a lot of farmers that do this. They you know mm -hmm. use the spent grains, but. Um, we provide a service that was pick up the, pick up their spent grains and, and haul it away for them. Now, I mean, are are they using the same grains, the same type of mash, like whatever type of beer they're making? Or, for example, if they're making like an IPA versus I don't know a lager, is it going to be different? Yeah, that's exactly right. They they're different grains based on what they you know what they're trying to do, and they all have their own kind of secret recipe. You know, that they, you know, <laughs> what they mix and match in there to to get just their particular flavor. Do you think that would lead to like any difference of flavor in the beef eventually? Oh, it definitely does. It definitely Really? Does. Okay. And it's uh, and we've done it. <clears throat> we've done some comparisons, you know, even here locally 
But, you know, so traditionally you'll have a, a, what we call a, a regular finished, a corn-fed finished Nebraska, you know, corn-fed um, animal is finished on corn and mash. You mm-hmm. know? And so they, in, and typically what you will, your taste buds, when you go to a restaurant and you get a regular steak and Nebraska corn-fed um, steer, it will be, have a lot of marbling in it. Well, then mm-hmm. there's been this whole kind of movement of, you know, well, you know, feed lots and we don't want to, we don't want to feed too much starch to the cows. And there's a, you know, a whole kind of thing in that. So now there is a swing to grass fed, right? So purely grass fed animals. Well, grass fed animals in, in, in are, will taste very different than, you know, a finished animal because they will be a little more gamey. They'll be a little more, you know, a little more tough because it's that, that marbling, mm-hmm. that fat that really gives them the flavor that, you, that you're used to in a steak. Well, we get, we kind of get the best of both worlds. We don't really finish like a, a traditional feedlot. We we're feeding a mash all the time and they're getting a steady diet of grass and mash. Um, and they're consuming that. So they end up with the kind of the marbling that you would get in a, a, a traditional finished uh, product uh, versus a, you know, a straight grass fed animal. So the taste is definitely different and you can tell it, you know, the steaks are really are, you can tell it there, but the ground beef is really where, um, where the flavor, where we've tested. And you can, you can, when you put three of those together, you can definitely tell the difference. Oh, that's exciting. And I mean, yeah, that's so great because I mean, a lot of people are like, oh, I want grass finished or grain finished. It really depends. So, I mean, now you can be like, Hey, I want some mashed finished beef because it tastes great. And it's got that kind of those unique characteristics. So, I mean, they're staying on your ranch right before they go to processing. You're not shipping them off. Correct. Okay, cool. So, I mean, what's it been like since you guys switched over that? Are there people trying to want to steal your secrets? Are they kind of watching closely what you guys are doing? What's going on there? Oh yeah, you'll 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 be surprised. You know, <laughs> in, yeah, I, and a lot of times I will, you know, I'll go around and I'll, you know, when we go to sell to restaurants and I'll say, well, you know, I'm Rob from Barley Beef and and uh, you know, interested in you know taking some of our, our ground beef or something. Oh no, we already get barley beef. What do you mean you already get barley beef? <laughs> Yeah, we got another farmer. He sells us barley beef. No, 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 no. So we actually have actually started to develop, you know, kind of a the Kleenex brand of, of beef, you know, and, and and it's been through a long process. But, you know, I think uh, and it's, you know, I don't really it doesn't bother me that much because um, to me, if we can get more people in more local farmers, you know, selling more local product and more people buying local products and it's good for all of us. Yeah. So that's something I've been trying to push lately, like trying to get people to buy locally, whether that's like produce or beef or whatever, because I mean, you're, you're keeping that money in your local economy, you're saving transportation costs and all that stuff. And I mean, usually if you can find close grown or raised produce, usually it's going to taste really good because it's fresher. Yeah. 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 And I think, you know, one of the issues, one of the problems that we have, and I think as farmers, you know, we make it difficult for consumers to buy, you know, on the one side you have consumers that you know have good intentions and they want to buy local, but it's it's an effort, right? You've got to you got to find the local guy. You got to call him. Mm-hmm. You got to you know you got to make an. And sometimes you're just going to go. What well, I just need some hamburger for tonight. You're going to run down to Safeway and you're going to buy it. Now, yes, does that mean you don't want to support the local guy? No, it just means that it was inconvenient and I needed it right now. So, we as farmers have to get that ability to you know, make it more convenient. And that's one of the things like where this is where you see the marriage of, of ranching and technology. 
one of the products that um, ThingLogic's come out with is a product called Chirply, which is basically a, a text SMS messaging application so that you can make it easy for people to, to uh, communicate with you. So about, and Chirply was born out of barley beef. About a couple of years ago, you know, I was doing the traditional marketing of mm -hmm. my beef email lists, you know, and I'd run a few ads on the radio and I'd push people to my website and I'd do an email blast and say, you know, are you interested in some more product or this or that? Finally, I said enough of that. I, I deleted everybody's email. I actually deleted the field in the database called email and said, I'm not sending anybody else any more emails. And I says, I'm only going to communicate via text message. And I sent everybody um, uh, a text message that I had in my database and said, you know, look, you know, um, are you interested in, in more beef? Are you interested in, in some more ground beef? It's, you know, hey, this is Rob. Can I get you some more ground beef? Response rates went from what a traditional email campaign was for about 1% up to 30%. Oh, wow. That's a big gain. It's a huge gain. And then, yeah. yes, I did. Did I get a bunch of, hey, don't ever call me again. And how'd you get this number? And leave me alone. And but yes, I wanted those because that weeded those people out. I only want is my customers. And so now we actually have an automated text messaging system that sends out a text message, you know, because I figure if you buy 10 pounds of ground beef from me in about 30 days, you're going to run out, right? Because the average person's probably eating a pound of ground beef every three days or something. And so, uh, so the message just sends itself automatically say, hey, can we send you some more ground? Can we send... And there, how do they order? Yes. And the the credit card gets charged, the message, get, the product gets delivered, and it makes it easier for them to buy and, and interact with us. And I think that's one of the keys. And we've, we're in a ranchers, we've tried to do this with CSAs and farmers mm -hmm. markets and all that stuff, but we have to get down to making it easy for the consumer to buy to us, making it easier to buy than going to, you know, the store. Yeah, that convenience thing is huge. I mean, I saw um, some posts a couple weeks ago talking about like what consumers want. They want healthy food and they want convenience. I mean, that's really like yeah. if like like you're saying, if they've got to go five miles out of the way to get something to buy locally, they're not going to do it because it's not. I mean, if you're running groceries, especially if you have a family, you don't have time to run five miles out of the way. So exactly. whatever is at your Publix or your Walmart grocery store or whatever, you're going to buy what's there. It's yep. very interesting. Exactly. Um, yeah. So on your website, this is kind of a two-part question. You have the ability to buy a whole cow. Is that right on your website? You do. So we sell, we sell, you know, uh, halves, uh, half mm -hmm. quarter and a whole cow. Um, and <clears throat> you get, there's, you know, that's a different kind of consumer. So we, you know, in the same, we do the same marketing to them. If you buy a quarter cow, you're probably going to buy a quarter cow every year. You know, so we just had, you know, we know you bought it this year. Um, and then we're going to, ask you, do you want it again next year? Again, just keep that, keep that up there so that you're not having to come look for us. We're coming to look for you. you know? Right. Yeah. So that's something I really want to do one day. And so like, what are the logistics behind that? Like how much like ground meat and steaks do you get for like a half of a cow? How much freezer room might you need? Like what are the logistics behind that? So the way I always describe it is a, um, if you take a quarter beef, like if you took a, a regular, like your normal, you know, your normal refrigerator freezer combination, mm -hmm. you know, that you would have. Um, if you took a, a quarter beef and you took everything out of your freezer, <laughs> including the ice maker, right? <laughs> you, 
you could probably get just about a quarter cow uh, in there. And if you've ever seen one of these little small chest freezers, um, there mm-hmm. a quarter cow kind of fits, you know, will will fit easily in there. So, and it will, you know, and when you what you do is you what the way we do it is we give you a quarter of a whole. And what that means is you get, you know, if they're in inside of um, un, inside one whole cow, there's going to be um, probably uh, 120 pounds of ground beef. Well, you're going to get 40 pounds of that in a quarter, right? Um, and did I do the math right? That are you getting 30 pounds? Three that sounds about four. right. Yeah, <laughs> it's either three or four. I don't know. Um, uh, you'll get, you know, you'll get rib steaks. You'll get, you know, you'll get roasts. You'll get short ribs. You'll get sirloin tips and New Yorks, and you get a little bit of everything um, that goes in in uh, from the animal. That's so cool. Yeah. So we've got a freezer right now, like a big separate freezer, but right now it's filled with deer meat. So we have like no room in there. My paw-in-law is a big time hunter. So anytime he kills a deer, we stack our freezer up. And so, but it's something I'm still trying to convince my wife to do. I really want to go in and maybe buy like the cow and split it with somebody. Somebody have half, we have half. I mean, that'll last you a year, wouldn't it? Like half of a cow? Oh yeah. Yeah. Easily. I mean, if, so we had, uh, you know, I would, I would do, so I had, six kids and my wife and I, and so we would, um, um, we would usually do a whole cow for a year, but we were probably bigger meat eaters than most people. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I would assume that working and living on a ranch, you would eat a little bit more beef than usual. Yeah. <laughs> <You> <laughs> so all right, you've got this awesome technology background. Do you think that new and exciting technologies could kind of change the future of agriculture, especially with like people wanting to buy locally? Like, do you think there could be a software or a website or something or an app where they could help consumers buy as locally as possible? Absolutely. So, you know, we're actually trying to, we're working on that, that exact thing. Hmm. You know, the text messaging thing, I think is, is one component of that to be able to connect to us. Um, but we're doing, a, we're doing a couple other things. So um, agriculture is actually one of the biggest use cases for IOT. Um, one of the proof of concepts that we're working on here on the ranch is a connected corral system. So in other words, right now, you know, the cow that goes to market is the slowest one, right? Mm-hmm. The one which everyone you can catch easiest and isn't going to run you over, but that's not necessarily the one that needs to go to the market. The one that needs to go to market was the one that is weighs the most has been here the longest is ready to go. Well, as the cows come in, they all have RFID tags in their ears um, so we're working on a, a system whereby as a cow go, comes in, gates will open and close and move the cows into mm. holding pens so that, you know, the handler is not having to get in there. Because, I mean, if you're not used to, if you've never been in a pen with a 1,200 pound animal by yourself, it's often an, a daunting sight, especially when they get excited and they come running at you. Um, so it makes and it's it's less stress on the animal. It's safer for the handlers and whatnot. So. There's a lot of use cases in, in irrigation, uh, we call fertigation now, where uh, IoT is, is putting sensors in the fields and we're able to not only deliver water and moisture to a plant, but also the nutrients that it needs. So those kinds of things, those um, automatic sensors send back uh, information as to what the plant needs. But I do think, <clears throat> you know, in terms of supply chain, and that's really kind of the thing that is... Um, is is kind of most critical these days is you have um, the, there's a there's a bottleneck 
in the meat business, which is at the mm -hmm. process. Yeah. So, you know, the processor can only process so much. There's only so many USDA approved um, facilities. I think they're, they're trying to change that now. I think the government's trying to invest in, in, in expanding those facilities. Uh, but <clears throat> right now that bottleneck happens. So there's only a small, there's a big supply of cows, but there's only, a, and that's a small supply getting through. And that's why you're seeing the consumer prices go up and, and cattle prices kind of go down because, you know, they're going down because the, the middle guy has a lot, too much supply of cows mm -hmm. and they're going up for the consumer because this, the supply is, is short on the other side. So I think there's a lot of opportunities in there to, you know, uh, automate some of that, you know, processing as it goes through so that we can get it, we can get it more efficiency. And I think there's also some real opportunities there for small processors. Like one of the things, you know, we're trying to look at is being able to process just our stuff here on the ranch and being able to, um, you know, really never have that animal leave the farm truly goes from here and process here and, and out. So I think there's a lot of opportunities there. It's just a matter of, of it's time and money. Yeah, I know that we've interviewed somebody. I can't remember if it was um, Appeal Sciences, A-P-E-E-L or something like that. But basically they have a company to where they have an AI that tracks the best by date on produce throughout a grocery store. Mm -hmm. And so as it gets closer to help reduce food waste, those items automatically get a discount. And so like if it's a week away, it gets like, I don't know, 30%, for example. And so it's kind of urging consumers like, hey, buy this. It's just as good as the next product, but you get it cheaper because it's about to expire. Because That's I think cool. it's it's something like 30 or 40% right now in the US of food is wasted, whether it's like along the whole food supply chain by consumers, processors, um, retail and stuff like that. So yeah, it'll be exciting to see what technology happens. Yeah, there's a big ways. One of the other things that, Logics came up with is a cold chain monitoring, so it's very similar. But being able to, you know, um, track from the moment an animal gets processed, the temperature that that mm. that product has been at its entire life cycle, right out through the grocery store, to make sure that it's always, you know, at a refrigerated level, so that <clears throat> you don't get lost, you know, because you know one of our big products at ThingLogic is just re refrigeration monitoring. I mean, and, you know, being able to know that in the middle of the night, your walk-in went down or your freezer went down is a big deal. Because if you come up in the morning and your freezer was down last night, you just lost a lot of product. And that's a <laughs> lot of waste, you know. That is. So, uh, like, how would you accomplish that in a store? Like, would you have little RFID chips or something in, like, the package of meat to kind of track it as it's moving throughout? It does. It's actually, uh, there's a little, it's a, actually a little label that goes on the package. You wouldn't, it's, it, it would look just, you wouldn't even notice it. It'd mm. be like, a, like it goes on the sticker and then there's a, it sends a little signal and there's a little gateway device that sits, you know, kind of right by the meat counter and it tells, it receives, you know, the message as to, you know, where that piece of that product is, where that product is and what its temperature is. So going off of that, before I forget, have you been to the Amazon Go store in Seattle? That is the cool, my wife and I, we were there a few months ago and we walked in there and it was the craziest thing. It was so cool just seeing all the cameras and everything. Yeah. And just like, I looked up on it and there are like scales on all the shelves. So it senses when you pick up something, when you put it back and it's tracking it. And it was so, but it was also, it was the weirdest thing to walk out without paying. You just walk yeah. out and you're good to go. <laughs> so we had, so after we sold, after we sold to Amazon, we would go up there quite a bit. And at that time, the ghost store was just for the employees only. It wasn't right. Public. 
And so because we were a contractor, we would be, get to go in. Um, and so, and I was up there all the time, right? <laughs> and, and I would go in and at first it was a novelty, but then it became, you know, kind of second nature to you because, mm-hmm. when, you know, I was up there and I'd walk in, I'd, you know, grab a soda or grab something and go, you know, I, done. Well, one day I'm at an actual grocery store. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> you know? so, but yeah, the, the ghost store is pretty cool. Um, and, you know, Amazon is, I think their their objective is to roll that, the, you know, that serve, they're going to actually roll that out as a service so that any retailer can actually act as a, as a, um, a ghost store. Yeah, that'll be interesting to kind of see how it plays. I mean, shoot, whether you're at Walmart or Target or... Yeah. I don't know, sporting goods store or something like that. That'll be very interesting to see where it goes because I mean, it's so convenient. You just yeah. put everything in your buggy and go outside. But also like, I wonder how it's going to impact like some jobs of like people at the checkout counter or something like that. So that'll be very well, interesting. You know, and that's how, and I, that's a question I get a lot, you know, is mm-hmm. how is all this automation going to affect, you know, the workforce? And, and it's, I really always have, there's a, a couple analogies I like to think about. So uh, number one, uh, right now in this particular day and age, like there is such a shortage of labor mm-hmm. that there is a necessity that we need to do some more automations just so that we can fulfill, you know, the amount of services that we have today. So in that sense, but it's also like, you know, everybody always talks about, well, that technology is going to put somebody out of business. I can, and if you look at the music industry, I always thought was a great one because I don't know, back in, back in my day, we had albums, LPs, <laughs> right? You know, and when the CD came out, if you were in the LP making business, you thought the world was ending, mm-hmm. right? Because no one's making LPs. Everybody's stamping CDs and the CD business was going crazy. Then, you know, the iPod came out. And if you were in the CD stamping, marketing to CDs business, you would have think the world's coming to an end because all these jobs are going away. Well, they didn't. They just kind of shifted. You know, they shifted from one industry to the other. And the the skill set is different. So you always got to change a little bit of skill set. But the net number of jobs actually increases a lot of times with technology. And now today, we you look at we have streaming services, right? So even mm-hmm. there's, I mean, when iTunes came out, they thought, oh, my gosh, the world is ending. They're taking over the world because everything's going 99 cents. There's going to be no CDs. There's the musicians are going to starve. There's not... And actually what happened with the streaming services is the streaming services create a lot more jobs because now you have subscriptions kind of subscriptions and taking care of all that. But also um, it's no longer like the, the, the sector of music that you get to listen to is no longer dictated by the people who had the jobs that could make a CD or had the money that could make a CD or had the money to get it marketed a lot. The entry, the entree for, making music is open to anybody and so mm-hmm. jobs shift over time but um i don't think and i think our today's economy is proof that they're they're not going away we need lots of we need lots of labor oh yeah and i think there was a really good commercial a couple of years ago i think it was by the university of phoenix there was like this lady working in a warehouse and they were building something and then it showed like you know uh, like robots coming in and doing the jobs like those little robot arms or whatever And it showed them getting laid off. And then she went to school online and then she eventually became the person that repairs those robots. Yeah. So it's like technology may replace them, but there's always going to be some sort of job that you can still do to maybe fix that technology or something like that. Yeah. It changes the skill set, but the jobs I think are, are constantly there. Another great example of technology making jobs is look at Uber. 
Like who would have oh, thought? Yeah. Who would have thought that all we would have created all these part-time sources of income for people? And it's only possible with the technology. Without that technology, all that, you know, that economy of and which is a great, you know, it's a very simple concept, right? Hey, I'm driving around, I have a car, would you like a ride? Well, <laughs> go my way, yeah, I would, you know. So yeah, it, it, it definitely has its advantages. Yeah, it's so fun because it makes everybody, I mean, a taxi driver. And so my wife and I, we're here in Panama City, Florida, which is like a big tourist destination in the summer. And so we know countless people that they bought a new car, they Ubered all summer long, and they paid it off within like a year. I mean, yeah. it's just an extra set of income. It's just, especially now with everybody like teleworking or working from home mm -hmm. or job hunting because of COVID, you can really set your own hours. And I really, it kind of goes back to the whole thing about convenience. Like, you want convenience in your food. Now people are doing that convenience of their job. Yeah. Kind of interesting. Yeah. And now I think when you're talking about earlier technology of making it easier for customers, really the, my big goal right now is kind of the, you know, the DoorDash, the Uber of farming, right? Oh, That's really yeah. what I want. Like I want the ability for you to go. I want, you know, if, and I've, you know, I'm working on some relationships with the DoorDash people, but it's still cost prohibitive for the little guy, unfortunately, mm -hmm. but it's, you know, I want it. I want the ability for you to go, Oh, I want some barley beef. Now, not like tomorrow. I want it now. And it's there. It's delivered to you. And if we could use technology to get the farmers so that the fulfillment side and the demand side meet, just like the Uber thing, making a connection. I need ground beef. You have ground beef. We just got to get someone to deliver it to us. I'm willing to pay for it. Yeah. I mean, that, that sounds like a good idea. I mean, would this be something, I don't know, like like a long-term thing, like a long-term relationship, like subscription boxes or just like, I don't know, one-off, hopefully getting them to come back and be repeat customers? Uh, no, I think it's a, you know, it's the ability for us to, again, connect with the consumer and make it mm -hmm. easy for them. Um, and I think it's a long, it's a, it's a long-term thing. It's not a CSA in the sense of, all right, every week, because we've done those. And the problem with that is I'm going to give you a box every week. Well, what happens is the first week, you're very excited about it. The second week, you're very <laughs> excited about it. The third week, you're going, I have no place to put it. The fourth week, you're you're now feel like you're wasting it because you didn't eat it because you're backlogged with everything. And so it became like, well, I want to order when I need it, not when you want to bring it to me. Um, but if we, you know, combining these technologies and working with, you know, people out there that are willing to, you know, move our product just as they're willing to move people from one spot to the other or, move McDonald's from one spot to the other, you know, um, and, and this is not, you know, it's not pie in the sky. This is something we're working on and we're hoping to have, you know, in the next uh, couple of months, if we can make it work financially. Yeah. I mean, do you think it might, could be like an extension of cooperatives where like smaller scale beef ranches are like, we've got some here in Florida, like maybe they're going to partner with you guys and store your beef and then sell it and then vice versa. Yeah. Yeah, and you'll see that uh, we've been working with a, a store in, in New York, a butcher shop in New York. They they want to they want to sell our beef. They like the story. They like you know you know the you know the whole beer and animal thing, but the logistics of getting it to them yeah. is difficult. It's cost prohibitive to get it over there because a there's not enough people to transport it <laughs> over there. I don't have you know, <laughs> and the cost is so high. Um, we couldn't do that. But <clears throat> yes, if farmers could do a cooperative where we had, you know, kind of think about it as the, you know, the, the FedEx model, the hub and spoke model of, of moving, you know, farm products from one to the other, we could, but also 
you know, the reality is there's enough farmers spread throughout the, the country that we, you know, we, if, if we could just get the consumers to purchase our stuff locally only, um, they could, they could, they could probably, um, you know, that wouldn't need to ship it back and forth as much. Do you think there's like a mileage range to where the quality of the products might suffer at all? Or, I mean, because of like things like dry ice and just, I don't know, overnight shipping, do you think that's not a problem anymore? It, yeah, it hasn't really been an issue in terms of quality right now. Hmm. Um, we do have a lot of, of our restaurants that want fresh ground beef and that's kind of their stick. They get fresh ground beef every, you know, every day uh, or two or three times a week. And um, that's kind of what they want. But most people, um, you know, the distribution houses, the Cisco's of the world, they can, you know, they can handle and manage large quantities of that distribution and get it distributed pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting to see because um, we've got a friend who um, has a cake business in where Colorado, and she shipped a cake to our friend here in Florida overnight and just used dry ice, and it was in perfect condition. And it was so yeah. funny because it was wrapped so tight, but she was like, it was a test run, first time, and it was great. And then I've ordered some beef from around the country before, and it's gotten here in like two or three days, still frozen. Dry yeah. ice is crazy. It's wonderful. Yeah, one, I was looking at your uh, um, one of your previous guests, uh, Neil. Uh, Neil Dudley. Peter, yeah. Yeah. Neil Dudley that their whole, their whole, and I talked to him, um, I don't know, a month or so ago, but their whole, um, you know, their whole business model is direct to consumer mm-hmm. and their stuff arrives. Um, you know, I've, I've bought their stuff and they've sent it out and it arrives perfectly frozen. It's and it's good stuff. They, I, I think they've got quite a good model board there. Yeah. He was super nice and sent some stuff over. He was like, Hey, it'll be there in like three or four days. And it was there in two days and it was still yeah. frozen. I was like, Oh yeah. sweet. This is awesome. So yeah. yeah, it's so cool. And I mean, I know big time companies like butcher box and stuff like that are doing that, but then you've got a bunch of other like direct to consumer businesses, like a crowd cow or honest bison, for example, mm-hmm. that are doing that, or even you guys. So it's cool to see that. I mean, I don't know. There's all this technology out there, new technology and old school that allows us to do all this and really, it's still not the most convenient because you can go online and Google them, but hopefully with, you know, technology that you guys are making, it'll be super convenient to support locally and buy locally. So we'll yeah, see where that yeah. goes. Yeah. Yeah. Indeed. Indeed. That's awesome. Well, Rob, this has been a blast, man. Chatting with you, learning about all things, man, beef, IOT, <laughs> the internet of things, all that good stuff. Um, if people want to learn more about you, about thing logics and about barley beef, where can they go? Yeah, you can go to the web um, and you can also email me. It's Rob at ThingLogics and Rob at Barley Beef. So if you have questions or need something, let me know. Deal, man. Well, we really appreciate it. Um, I, I'm going to have to find out one day to see if an, an IPA finished cow tastes differently than like a, I don't know, a lager or something. That'd be really yeah. interesting. Do you like a little beef tasting? That'd be super there fun. You there you go. All, All right. Well, thanks, man. Take care. Trevor, thanks. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening to the Farm Traveler podcast. If you're on Instagram, go follow our page and you can follow us, see images from our guests, posts, even get updates on any contests we're running, which there is one coming up very, very soon. So if you're on Instagram, just head over to farm underscore traveler or go into the description and click on the very first link and you will be, I don't know, transported to our Instagram page. So again, that is instagram.com slash farm underscore traveler and We'll hope you give us a follow and hope you like all the content you see over there. Thanks so much. And we'll see you in the next episode.